0: I'm sure you've heard it said many times, I personally have challenged you with this, but the 21st century is known as the mean generation. It's the mean generation, but it's not a problem that it's only for today. In fact, it's been a problem since the very fall of man, with the rise of humanism, the focus on mankind, the self. But it's only made more real today because of all the technological advances that makes the promotion of me, myself, I, more visible. Have you ever thought to yourself, what is the purpose of a front-facing camera on your phone? Yes, there are some security benefits, but for all practical purpose, the invention of the front-facing camera on your phones is to take the picture of the one who's holding the phone. That and other inventions like the selfie stick is to ensure that you are not left out in anything. And because of the generation that we live in and the technological advancements, a focus on me as number one has ingrained itself into our culture. Now, you may be sitting here defensive and saying, well, pastor, that's not the case. I think about others. Well, if you don't believe me, I'd like you to think about what you pray for every day. Categorize the subject matters of what you pray about. It's usually a prayer about some aspect for my betterment. Your petition before God is about your job, making it better, providing more salary to your job. It's about your school that you will do well, get better grades. It's about your work that you'll have better colleagues that will treat you right. You pray for my family. You pray for my looks. You pray for my health. You pray for everything about yourself It may be so that if you are praying for something, it's that something that is for the betterment of your own comfort, a bigger house, a larger car. And as one gets older, it's about my legacy, a legacy that remembers me so that the world doesn't forget about what I've contributed to society. A quick snapshot of what you and I pray about shows us very clearly this is a generation that's focused. On me. And with this focus on the self, it is no wonder that we are so self-absorbed and concerned about making ourselves number one. And while you and I can try to justify in my, our minds, well, yeah, we know Jesus is really number one in our lives and we proclaim it with our mouth that Jesus is number one in our life. In reality, how we live our life in action and even in speech confirms to the world that it's about me and that the world revolves around me. The scripture reminds us, otherwise, we are not first. In fact, when we place ourselves in the pecking order of things, we come out dead last, according to the scriptures. There's a wonderful children's song that I learned growing up. I wonder if they still sing it today. I hope our children are learning it today. It's a song written by B. Metzger in 1951. I think many of you know this song. It is entitled, Jesus and Others in You. It goes something like this. Jesus and others in you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others in you. In the life of each girl and each boy. J is for Jesus, for he has first place. O is for others you meet face to face. Wise for you and whatever you do, put yourself third and spell joy. How many of you know that song? A lot of you, I know. Another version of the song has as that last line, put yourself last and spell joy. There is such great theological truth in the simple children's song of a generation past. How that song reminds us daily that we are not first. And yet we've forgotten that in our generation today. How do we remind ourselves daily that we are not first? We must enact spiritual disciplines in our life. We must live out spiritual disciplines in our life that the Bible teaches us about. And so we begin a new sermon series this morning entitled, Not First, Practicing Spiritual Disciplines to Remind Us Daily of Our Place in This World. And the first discipline we want to look at this morning is the spiritual discipline of submission. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be taking a look at verses 36 to 46. Matthew chapter 26, we begin in verses 36 and go all the way to verse 46. And we look at the life of the man Jesus, and we learn from his life true submission, one who did not have to do what he is going to do, and yet in full submission to God the Father does the will of the Father. From these verses about the life of Jesus, we want to draw out five keys, five principles for how we can practice the spiritual discipline of submission. Look at me firstly in your Bibles at verses 36 to 38 as I read from Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go over and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. As you can ascertain from these verses, this incident in the life of Jesus takes place as He is about to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. He has known that He will have to die for man as He has submitted to the will of the Father since eternity past, And that's why He has known as a child growing up here on earth that He will have to do the Father's will. In fact, before His incarnation as a babe of Bethlehem in heaven... He proclaims in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 to 10 that He has come to do the Father's will. And He declares to all who will listen to Him, John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. And so after leaving the upper room, having instituted the Lord's Supper, Jesus with His now 11 disciples come to Gethsemane with the intent of praying. And here in what we call the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes three disciples, his inner circle, Peter, John, and James, further into the garden where they will provide, hopefully, moral and spiritual support in prayer. You see, Jesus had known for years this, this night would be coming and being divine he knew that tonight would be the night he would be arrested and he needed prayer support now to better understand why jesus is anguished why he is distressed and exceedingly sorrowful while he is praying in the garden we need to remember something in theology we call his hypostatic nature and this is a theological term that simply means that jesus is a hundred percent divine And at the same time, he's 100% human. And it is in this unique hypostatic union that we simply cannot comprehend fully in our human mind, but it helps us understand what Jesus is undergoing. Because while he is 100% God, he is also fully human. And it is in his humanity that Jesus shudders at the thought of death. Now, it wasn't that Jesus was scared to die for us. It wasn't that he was being forced to die for us, and therefore he didn't want to go through it. But like you and I, he was deeply disturbed knowing that he would have to die. And that's why he came to the garden to pray, to prepare himself to die by talking to God the Father. Again, the Bible recounts that Jesus was in deep distress, exceedingly sorrowful, The gospel writer recounts Jesus saying he was troubled he was literally breaking inside the fight between wanting to live as we all do as humans and the need to submit to the Father's will and Jesus knew what was at stake the saving of mankind from their sins yet it required his death the death of the Son of God God himself the God man he knew that he would have to suffer a physical death so painful that only the worst of criminals were to undergo it according to Roman law. He would undergo a spiritual death that he has never experienced since eternity past when God the Father would forsake God the Son as he takes on the sins of the world, past, present, and future. As Wolverd writes in his commentary, no man in sinful and mortal flesh can understand the conflict And the holy soul of Jesus, who had never experienced the slightest shadow of sin and had never known any barrier between himself and the Father. We, We can't fully grasp what Jesus is experiencing. He who has never known sin will become sin for us. And for the first time in all of eternity, somehow he will be separated from the Father you and I would be troubled and anguished of soul if we were also placed in the same position. The closest, perhaps, feeling you can get is, let's say you know you have to die to save a family member, your own child. And yet, I know that many of you would die for the sake of your children, but when you think about it, you know it's the right thing to do. You want to do it because you love your child, but then you begin to think about you dying, and that should give any person... Pause. And it is in that moment that we all will need support in prayer. Let me stop here and remind us of a very important principle that I think we often forget. And that's number one of your taking notes. Key one in understanding the spiritual discipline or living out the spiritual discipline of submission. It is to admit that submission is a very real struggle to submit is a very real struggle it is very difficult to give up our own rights it is very difficult to give up what we love which is ourselves it is very difficult to give up control of our lives while we do not struggle with submission to the extent that jesus went through it it is still a daily struggle for us that we need support because submission intrinsically reminds us that we are not first. The very action of submission says, I give way to someone else and his will and his purpose. And that's hard to do. Why is it important to admit that submission is a struggle? Because unless you and I admit that we struggle with it, then we will never ask for help. We all know about submitting to one another, submitting to God. But the question is, why don't we do it more often? Because we are not fully recognizing that we find it difficult to submit. Think about the areas of your life you and I struggle with. It's in submission to God's will. Would you submit very quickly to the will of God if His will for your children was that your children would become a pastor or a missionary and not take over your family business would that be difficult for you for many i know it would be is it difficult for many of us to submit to god's will and live in obedience to the biblical principles of god's word knowing that we will get often the short end of the stick if we follow biblical principles we struggle with it That's why many do not submit to the teachings of the scriptures. Isn't it hard to submit to God's will to love and forgive a person who has wronged you? We call them our enemies for sure. That's why today there are people who still don't talk to each other even in the same church. Isn't it hard that we struggle to submit to God's will in the area of The family structure, how a wife is to submit to her husband, how a child is to submit to his parents, how a husband is to submit to God, the divine structure for a family, that's hard to do, especially when you think you're right. It's very hard to submit because it demands that we give up our rights our pleasure, our desires, our plans, the very control of our lives we so crave. But it is in submission that we begin to realize we are not number one. But the struggle is very real, and we begin with that. You know, the gospel writers didn't need to tell us about Jesus struggling. Did you ever think about that? The gospel writers could have, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not written about this, and simply said, and Jesus went joyfully to the cross. Why do we have this incident recorded about Jesus being sorrowful and anguished over submitting to God's will? Because in His humanity, it reflects what we all go through, the struggle to submit. It's to help us identify that it is difficult. Look at verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, in his anguished prayer, asked God, If there is any other way by which mankind can be saved, let's do it. But Jesus knew there was no other way. And that's why he said, but not as I will, but as you will. From this short verse, this phrase, we see another principle, number two. And if you want to practice the spiritual discipline of submission to remind us that we are not number one, then number two, you need to acknowledge that it's not about me. It's not about you. You see, submission is the overwhelming acknowledgement that it's not about me. It's not about my will. It's about God's will. You see, it's a circular thing. Submission teaches us that it's not about me. But only when I come to that point when I realize it's not about me will I be able to submit But that's so difficult because we make everything in this world about me, my rights, my luxury, my comfort. How does a wife submit to her husband knowing that her husband is quote-unquote no good? How? The only way a wife can submit to her husband is to acknowledge that it's not about the husband and it's not about me. It's about The will of God, who has defined how a family structure should be. In the same way, how does an employee submit to their terrible, unreasonable boss? How? It's very hard. It's not about the boss. It's realizing it's also not about you. It's realizing that it's about God's desire for you to be a Christ-like example in faithfulness in the company He has called you to be. How does a teenager submit in obedience to their parents when they think that their parents are unfair, backwards, unreasonable, out of touch with life? And they may be right. The only reason a child... Or a teenager can submit in obedience to their parents is recognizing it's not about the parents. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us parents are perfect. And it's not about them. It's about submitting to God's command to obey and honor one's parents. You see, when we make it about ourselves, we'll never understand submission because it's not about us. And more and more, it's more difficult to teach the old and the young in this generation to submit to authority because everyone thinks it's about them and our rights and our convenience. Let me give you an example. When was the last time you fought over in your family over watching something on television? When was the last time you could not watch the show you wanted to watch? It's probably been a while in your family. Why? because we have Netflix. We can watch on demand the shows we want to watch, and if we don't agree with the show we want to watch, we all get on our separate devices and go to our separate rooms, and everyone has peace in the family because everyone gets to watch their own shows. Isn't that correct? You know, there was a generation ago, when I was young, where we didn't have streaming on demand. There was only one television in the household, and there was one remote control. And who held that remote control? It was dad or mom. So as much as we wanted to watch cartoons, they controlled the shows we watched. And imagine this. We were forced to watch good shows with moral lessons, horror the thought. Did we fight over which shows to watch? Absolutely. Absolutely. But now we don't have that problem, right? Because if we want it, we get it. And that's where technology has intersected our lives and changed how we think. And that's how I know this generation is different. Somehow, something that is really my right as a parent is now up for votation. Like where are we gonna eat on Sunday night? I'm the one paying. I choose a Chinese restaurant. But somehow I get outvoted. Well, my three children want Army Navy. And it takes a lot for me, at least in this area, to recognize, well, if it's not about me, then I can accede to their demands. But you see what's happening in our culture now, young and old, we're both demanding it and we're allowing that it has to be our rights and what makes us comfortable and, and you wonder why this generation, young and old, has a big problem with submitting to God's will. And The reason it's important to acknowledge that it's not about me has nothing to do with the shows you watch. has nothing to do with the foods you eat. But it has everything to do with the important spiritual lesson that you recognize that you and I are not number one in this world. It's about God's will even if you feel you have all the rights to receive what you are afforded. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, equal in standing in the triune Godhead with God the Holy Spirit and God the Father, submitted to the Father's will, volitionally, unforced, when He acknowledged it's not about me. Nevertheless, verse 39 not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40 to 41. Then Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping and and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus has been praying for about an hour and he sees that His three disciples are are asleep. The, The three who are to provide him in his time of anguished prayer, moral and prayer support, and they're asleep. He wakes them up with an admonition, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. What is this temptation Jesus is talking about? Using the context, this is the temptation to take the easy road. Peter, as we'll find out, denies Jesus later on in the night in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas. Perhaps this was a a message to Peter, "Sure up your convictions, watch and pray, be ready. But then he will deny because he wasn't ready. You see, the temptation we all face is to take the easy road and we Often just simply acknowledge the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Don't we love that phrase? It's our cop-out statement for not doing what we know we need to do. You know that feeling when you can't get up on Sunday mornings, your alarm rings and you know you need to go to church but your muscles aren't moving, especially on a rainy Sunday morning. And then you say, Lord, I hope you understand. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then you go right back to sleep. And you feel good all about it because at least you've acknowledged something from the Bible. Oh, it happens all the time. I wanted to, Pastor, but I couldn't. Really? You know, the, the sad part is we pick and choose what we want to quote from the Bible, It is an acknowledgement that the Spirit indeed is willing and the flesh is indeed weak. But what is the action? Go back to the first part of the verse. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into acknowledging that the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. If you know you can't do it, form a buddy system, have a life group, have an accountability system. You need a system to help you live out the Christian life in a way that's holy and pleasing to God. If you've ever wanted to lose weight, as I have for years, you know that you need a good buddy, a help system, so that when you want to eat that extra dessert, they'll tell you, no, it's not good for you. Don't do it. Or when you want to eat that bag of chips, that person grabs it out of your hand and says, this is not for you. Or when you are not motivated to go exercise, they prod you, they call you, you come with us, we'll go together. Often, your motivator, your buddy, is the key to accomplishing the goals you have in your life. And the reason I'm so fat is because I have a terrible partner in my wife. You know, I, I tell her, I, it's about 11 o'clock, In the evening, and I tell her, you know what, I'm craving milk tea and and Taiwanese snacks. And I expect her to tell me, just go to bed. If you go to sleep, you won't be thinking about it anymore. You can fight the urge. Instead, she tells me, okay, I'll order for you. I was craving the same thing. And we end up having a feast at 11 p.m. at night, things to grab, which is what happened last night. You need someone you can depend on. And of course, Jesus' watch and pray was an admission that we can't do it by ourselves. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so you need a supernatural support system. The enabling power of God, the Holy Spirit, and how do we ask for his help? We do so in prayer. You see, the third principle for how to live out submission as a way of life in our spiritual discipline to remind us that we are not first is, number three, a daily reminder to submit in prayer. A daily reminder to submit in prayer. You say, where do you find that scripturally? In fact, we find it in the model prayer of Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 to 10? The disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus gave what's called the Lord's Prayer. You and I have memorized it. In fact, some of you may pray it every day. You go through it as if that's some sort of magical prayer that you better pray once a day that will encapsulate all that a prayer needs. But it's a model prayer. But have you ever really noted the words of that model prayer? and really live it out, and really mean it. Because sometimes we just say the words because we know it so well that we don't apply it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your what? Your will be done. We, we know it on earth as it is in heaven. In the very model prayer of Jesus for how we are to pray, the Lord reminds us, when you pray for a petition When you pray for a personal need, remember the phrase which reflects your heart, your will be done, God's will be done. Because if God is so sovereign and rules mightily across the heavens and the universe, it should also apply on earth even in our own lives So that means if you ask for a raise or a promotion or for a better job or entrance into a school or the passing of a board exam or a life partner or a biological child or getting a business deal or being healed from your sickness or getting a blessing, that you end it with not my will, but your will be done. Why don't we pray that more? Because it's a dangerous prayer. We pray because we want something from God. God, give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, maybe I'll go find another God who will. Or if you don't give it to me, then I won't pray anymore as if we're holding God hostage, blackmailing Him. But if we ask God for something and we say, well, Lord, humbly, it's not my will, but Your will be done. It scares us. But yet the Bible tells us It is a daily reminder in prayer of submission that we need to pray. Because none of us can submit with our own power. It needs a supernatural support to God the Holy Spirit to help us do so. If you forget, plaster it on your wallpaper... Write it out in calligraphy or whatever on your mirror. Not my will, but God's will be done. Teach your children to pray like that. I wonder how you teach your children to pray. You know, I know a lot of parents, and I'm guilty of this as well. We, we teach our children that you can ask God for anything. And He will grant your prayers. And so I hear little kids And dear Lord, please give me a unicorn and give me a pink pony. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, those things don't exist. God can, absolutely God can. We acknowledge His omnipotence. But when has a parent ever taught their children to pray after they've requested something? But God, if you don't think it's best for me to get it, then it's okay, you don't have to give it to me. You see, my friends, when we don't teach our children that, they grow up to us in our generation today. Where we have this notion that God is a a giant candy dispenser, if you could put it like that. Where His job is to dispense candies and we just simply ask for it. And we throw a tantrum when God doesn't give us the candy that we want. Because we deserve it. And God, you are the giver of all good things, so you better give me the candy I request. And that's why so many people of this generation today, not having been taught that it's not about your will but God's will, think that God just dispenses with blessings willy-nilly to make us happy. When we pray, not my will but God's will, it is an acknowledgment that there is someone's will that is greater than mine. Did you get that? When we pray, not my will, but your will, acknowledgement of that, every day, then we recognize we're not number one. We live for someone else. Someone's will is greater than mine. That is the sovereign Lord's. Look at verse 42 to 43. Our fourth principle is found there. Again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Jesus went to pray after waking up his disciples a second time. I want you to notice something about how the prayer has changed. Sometimes we read these verses too fast, we don't see the change. In verse 39, in his first prayer, he prayed to God, if it's possible, let this pass. But now in the second prayer, that phrase is gone. The prayer in the second prayer is more of an acceptance, an acknowledgement of the inevitable. Since this cup cannot pass and I have to drink it, your will be done. You see, in this prayer, there is an acceptance of submission's responsibilities and consequences. When the reality of God's will makes itself known in your life, do you accept submission's consequences? You see, that's the fourth key for us to practice the spiritual discipline of submission. An acceptance of submission's consequences we forget at times that when we acknowledge God's will and submit to it we have to accept the responsibilities that come with it and this acceptance is often the hardest stage you can admit the struggle of submission we all can do that you can acknowledge that it's it's not about me you can even pray daily not my will Lord but your will be done but the hardest is to accept the consequences that come with submission's consequences. And this is what the Lord prayed the second and third time He prayed to God the Father, praying that God would give Him the fortitude to accept the consequences of His submission to the Father's will, which is to walk the path of Calvary. A prayer to strengthen Him to accept the consequences of the decisions he's going to make. Remember, my friends, if you're going to pray, not my will, but God's will be done, then pray that God will help you accept the consequences. If your child doesn't get into that school of his dreams or her dreams, do you pray that God will change the minds of the administrators or do you sit down with them and pray with your child let's pray that god will help us accept his decision even though i can't see it but it's for our best if you don't get the job that you want if you never get to emigrate out to another country if you remain single for the rest of your life and never marry if you don't have your own biological children can you accept the consequences of submitting to God's perfect will? Because if I were to ask you, when was the last time that instead of asking God for something in vain and you knowing pretty much how He has answered, that you will begin to pray, Lord, help me accept this decision The very definition of submission is to accept all that comes with it. And it certainly reminds us we're not first. Imagine you pray for healing from a sickness, and then it, you realize it's not God's will that you ever be healed from this sickness. That's so, why, you know, on a side note, it makes me so mad. When I hear faith healers coming around and they tell people, it is God's will that you be healed physically. So called healing masses, whatever that means. Read the Bible. It's very clear that oftentimes God, for His glory, does not heal physically. That's why we all die. But that's a hard acceptance that we pray for God's healing. And yes, I acknowledge He can do miracles. I've seen it. Medical miracles in the life of my mom and others. But would we have the audacity and the courage to pray, Lord, I, I accept Your will. It's not what I wanted, but I accept it. Help me to accept submission's consequences. And it is this acceptance that's often the hardest part the acceptance of the aging process, the acceptance of having an incurable disease, the acceptance of failure, the acceptance of loss. And yet we recognize in our acceptance of it, it's for God's will, for His glory. We're always praying that God would answer our prayers. We beg and we plead, but we pray to accept His will. It's a hard one. It's not to discourage you. You who are praying for God to do something great. But it's also wonderful to know that when we accept what God has in store for us, it's His perfect plan, which means it is His best plan for us. But we will never learn the lesson of submission until we accept the full consequences of submitting to His will. It goes hand in glove. God the Son, God Himself, had the choice not to die for the sins of mankind. He was equal with God the Father, but He knew that it was only by His death that mankind would be saved, and so He had to accept submission's consequences. Physical death, spiritual death caused Him great anguish, but in prayer number 2 and 3 in Gethsemane, He said, Your will be done. It is a prayer of confidence, of acknowledgement, of acceptance. And that's why He does what He does in verses 45 to 46. Look with me. Then He came to His disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Simply put, Jesus says, wake up. I hear them coming. They're coming. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, naturally, you you would think Jesus would say, quickly, wake up. They're coming. Let's run. Right? That's, That's what all normal people do. When people are coming to arrest you, to kill you, you hear their footsteps. Wake up. Let's escape. But you have a totally different experience here. It's not normal. It only comes when someone has accepted the will of God without reservation. Jesus comes and says, wake up, wake up. They're coming. Let's go meet them. It's almost as ridiculous if you were over speeding or speeding and you see an MMDA and you pulled yourself over and you say, I just want to let you know I was speeding. Please give me a ticket. That's about how ridiculous it is. Wake up, they're coming, let's go meet them to turn ourselves in. His actions, the actions of Jesus shows the ultimate expression of the acceptance of submission's consequences in allowing himself to be arrested. He didn't have to. He could have called down legions of angels to destroy the Roman soldiers who were coming to arrest him. He didn't need the kiss of Judas to identify him. He volitionally identified himself. And even if Judas did not kiss him on the cheek to identify him as Jesus Christ, I'm sure Jesus would have said, I'm Jesus. Arrest me. And of course, his arrest led to his illegal trials and His trials led to His death on the cross, which saved us from our sins and brought us salvation. It is because of Jesus' act of submission that we can even enjoy the joys of salvation. I want you to note something here, our fifth principle. Submission to God's perfect will always brings joy. In this dark night of Jesus' arrest, would lead into a weekend of his crucifixion it ends with his resurrection because submission to God's perfect will always brings joy you know it's almost ironic it's almost counterintuitive we don't think that submission would bring anyone joy right when we give up our rights to be first when we give up control we're all sad And so we think of submission as a sad discipline. Oh no, why did you start with discipline of submission? What a sad thought. I don't want you to think like that. Because it's not true. When we submit to God's perfect will, He gives us His best. And when we experience His best, it always brings us joy. I need you to look at through those lenses, and it's true, I've said this before, it's what I experience in my own life, when I go to other churches and I introduce myself, I just simply tell them my life story is simple, I had three no's and you know what they are, I tell them I never wanted to be a pastor, I never wanted to marry someone Asian much less Chinese in my personal bigoted mind. And I never want to return back to the Philippines, the country of my birth. And that's why I ran away from the Lord for many, many years, because I knew what He was calling me to, and I didn't want to submit to Him. I wanted to make lots of money, have a great job. I wanted all that the world promised me. I could not submit. Fast forward. You know I'm a pastor. I married to a sweet and beautiful Cindy who just puts up, with me making fun of her on sunday sermons this happens to be phil chai and i'm now here in the philippines and all three have brought some of the greatest joy of my heart here i am thinking i i have the best in mind i know what i want Oh, my friends, if you will only understand the truth that submission to God's perfect will, as hard as it is, always brings life full of joy. Submission reminds us that we are not first, but we will be afforded His best. So let me ask you, would you rather be first or would you rather have the best? That should help you think about submission. Would you rather be first or would you rather have the best? Because the best doesn't always come when you're first. It often never does. When you and I can accept this truth, then you and I can more easily experience daily submission to God's will. Jesus Christ was the greatest of examples in this. That's why Paul, when he writes to the Philippian Christians, uses this very example. Remember, we went through a sermon series on the book of Philippians, the main theme being joy in all circumstances. And in the section about joy of submission, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 9, Paul writes these words, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind of submission be in you, who, being in the very form of God, Jesus, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. That means submitting himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Jesus became obedient to the point of death. There is joy in submission. My friends, if you find it hard to submit to God's will, which sometimes we don't understand, if you struggle in your heart, I can't do it, it's too hard, I want you to think about Jesus Christ. If the Son of God, co-equal with God in all things in the triune Godhead, can give up His rights in obedience, and in submission to death for us, don't you dare tell me you can't submit to His will. I know it hurts, and you look around and everyone else has this or that, but you can't if you submit to God's will. Think about what God's submission in the person of Christ did for you, and then you ask yourself, can I submit to what the Scriptures tell me how I am to live? When you and I practice the spiritual discipline of submission, it will remind us very clearly we have no place being number one in this world. Remember, J is for Jesus, for he has first place. O is for others you meet face to face. Y is for you and whatever you do. Put yourself Last. And spell joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this example and reminder that what Jesus agonized through in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is because of the ultimate act of submission of the Son of God that grants me the joy of my life. How can I not understand that when I submit to your perfect will, It will also bring me joy in my life. We acknowledge our struggles. May we acknowledge it's not about us. May all of our prayers be seasoned with that wonderful phrase, not my will but your will be done, accepting of submission's consequence in order to experience joy in our life. May we not get sucked into the worldly thinking that control of my life is what is best. We know nothing. We can't even figure out the future much less tomorrow. And so we entrust our life into your hands, Heavenly Father. And like Jesus, we echo those words. Do as you please with my life, not by my will, but your will be done. And let us sit back and enjoy all the joys that comes from living in submission to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.